And we welcome you to the Wednesday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. We have something extra special for you today. A fascinating interview that has not been heard since its original airing back in early 1998, 25 years ago. This is an interview hosted by the gentleman who actually created the morning show, Bill Guy, longtime news director here at WGTD, and someone I was privileged to call both a colleague and a friend. Bill was someone who truly loved history, and he also loved Kenosha, and those two loves aligned beautifully in this discussion about the city of Kenosha and how it took shape over the decades. As you're about to hear, the interview concerns the republication of an extensive plan for the city's development and a discussion of how much of those ambitious plans ultimately came to fruition. Bill speaks with three Kenosha luminaries in this interview, and I'll leave the introductions to Bill. Sadly, all three of them are no longer with us, nor is Bill. Bill passed away just a few months after this interview aired. Here it is. And I hope you enjoy this step back into history. Thank you, Gregory Berg. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the morning show here on WGTD FM 91.1. It's a pleasure to have with us this morning uh, three gentlemen, each of whom has visited us before on uh, numerous occasions. And uh, joining us today are Bob Furman, Executive Director of the Kenosha County Historical Society, Don Jensen, a member of the board of the uh, Historical Society and uh, an eminent local historian, and Ray Forgiani, who is the city planner of the city of Kenosha. And um, we're going to be talking today about... Uh, a new book, a new old book, if you will. Uh, it's a, new, a project that the uh, Kenosha County Historical Society is undertaking to reprint a landmark book in Kenosha history. And Bob Furman, I'd like to come to you first, if we could. Could you tell us a little bit about just what the book is, what it's about, and uh, tell us about the, the plans to do the republishing? Sure. Uh, what we're doing, Bill, is we're reprinting the city plan of Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, 1925. That's its formal title. And uh, it is a result of a, of a study that the city commissioned back in the 20s uh, by a fellow named Harlan Bartholomew, who Ray will tell us a little bit about in a little bit. Uh, and basically, it was a blueprint for Kenosha's growth through the 20th century. We are reprinting the book and have just started, as of yesterday, a pre-publication sale of the book that will run through July 15th. The books are going to be delivered after September 1, but the uh, great thing about the pre-publication sale is that you can save 20% on the the cost of the book. The pre-publication price of the book is $15.95, uh, and then, of course, there's tax and, and shipping and handling if you require that. But uh, we're real excited about this reprint. It's, uh, it's unlike any other reprint that I've worked with before. I've done reprints of actual county histories in the past, mm -hmm. but this is a... This is a reprint of what at its uh, inception was really a, a living document, a, real, a living plan for uh, Kenosha, a vision. So it's kind of exciting, uh, 75 years later, to bring this back. I'm sure. And, of course, we'll remind everybody again, give them all the information about how they can, uh, how they can order uh, the city plan of Kenosha, Wisconsin, 1925, the, the, the reprint, uh, before we wrap things up today. Ray Ford, Johnny, we'd like to come to you now. Let's go back to 1925. Um, well, I'm not sure if you would have the number at hand. How big a city was Kenosha at that time? What was the population? About 40,000. Okay, so a little under half what it is now. Was it 
<clears throat> excuse me, out of the ordinary for a city of that size to have a plan of this type done? Was this uh, yes, made? it was. <clears throat> the whole idea of master planning from the four cities had really started to occur just after the turn of the century, uh, really led by an, another Midwesterner, uh, uh, Daniel Burnham, mm-hmm. did the, the plan of Chicago in 1909. And he did subsequent plans, and then that the concept then spread through the, through the country. Uh, what made the 1925 plan of Kenosha unique is it was the, a master plan. That it really was based on community consensus, and it was for a small community. It was really considered the best plan for a small community in the country and was used as a model for planning after that. Do we know what the impetus was for <clears throat> local officials to undertake this, this kind of project at the time? Yes, uh, we, we do, Bill. Um, it actually was something that didn't happen right away either. It was something that was rather long in, in, in germinating. Uh, and to understand the background, you really have to go back to the fact that uh, Kenosha's growth had been stymied for like 30 years, uh, mid-century, the ni- mid-19th century. And with with a tremendous debt, a railroad debt that the city had, and the city had really stymied, was not growing. In the 1880s, um, uh, Zalman Simmons arranged to have the debt refunded, and ultimately the city grew in, in a matter of a relatively short time, right around the turn of the century. Uh, Kenosha went from the 18th largest city in Wisconsin to the third largest city. So it was tremendous growth, a lot of people coming in. It was getting to be a big city, and as that happened, there were people uh, in the community who thought it should be a better city as well as a bigger city. So a couple of uh, prominent women spearheaded a drive in the very early years of the century to uh, to do some things to make it a better city. It took a long time for this to actually develop. There were a lot of elements that were involved in this, including at the time uh, in the early 20s, the, uh, uh, the change in city government to the city manager, supposedly a more professional type approach. And one of the first things the new council and the city and the uh, city manager did once they got into office in 1922, was to commission this study <laughs> and this report. Who was Harlan Bartholomew? What was his background? What did he bring to the to the dance? Well, <clears throat> uh, he was an engineer. That's his, his background, and it, because the field was just beginning, mm-hmm. uh, it, there really wasn't any any prerequisites for what their backgrounds would have to be. He simply had been a, a person who had practiced consulting and had a firm and had staff working for him. So when he emerged on the scene, he just didn't emerge by himself, but he brought other people with him with the uh, necessary knowledge to, to work out ideas and work with people. And he had done other plans for larger cities, had he not, before doing Kenosha? Or was that to, still to come? Well, he, uh, his original work was in St. Louis. Okay. And, uh, Which at the time was what, maybe the third or fourth largest city in certainly one of the <coughs> one of the larger cities yes and then he had uh, from that point had uh, uh, gone into private con- mm-hmm. consulting and uh, while he had done of course uh, smaller communities they were communities that were essentially suburbs of larger communities there wasn't really a 
uh, I guess what you consider a standalone mm-hmm. uh, city of, of of this size. It was uh, it was really quite bro- groundbreaking, and and uh, you know we had some some people in in, in Kenosha government. Uh, 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 Alfred, uh, for example, was uh, was the uh, was a Nash executive, and also uh, the city council president, a very progressive man. Uh, the government head of Kenosha had hired uh, a uh, city manager named Claire Osborne, who was the first the first Kenosha city manager, also a very progressive man. So uh, they saw the, the, the reason behind this, and uh, they had some good advice uh, and uh, turned, to, turned to Alfred, who proved to be exactly the right man for the job. Hmm. I'm thinking back to, I think, Bob, the last time you were here, we were talking about transportation at that time mm-hmm. and talking about the Bain Wagon Works and... Uh, the Allen Tannery, right? And at the time this study was being done, both those companies, which of course were the major employers, were on their last legs. Right? Did they, that fit into this plan in any fashion at all? Well, he does look at industry a bit in the plan. I think one of the more interesting things uh, that Don originally pointed out to me is as this project uh, started to, uh, to to come together in our discussions uh, in the communications committee was that. Uh, one of the things that Bartholomew had envisioned for Kenosha, one of the things that actually didn't happen, was to create uh, on the north side of the city an industrial port there. Hmm. Um, basically, I, I, I think what he was trying to anticipate was trying to clear out all this uh, industry from downtown along the lakefront and the, the river and such um, to, to uh, convert that to, to more of a, a well, actually, kind of what's happening now, right. uh, which is something we'll probably talk about in a couple of minutes. But uh, uh, unfortunately, that that idea didn't come to pass. Um, but he was looking at uh, the, the, the entire package. And I, I think that's probably what must have been exciting for somebody like Bartholomew. As, as Don said, you know, he'd worked on some suburbs and such, uh, and also uh, other projects associated with larger cities. But um, this this is his first time working with what is is termed in sometimes is sometimes an independent city, one that's really not dependent. It's not a suburb of someplace else, and he gets to look at the entire package. So he looks at industry, and uh, you know, includes some plans for for its eventual placement and development. Um, so it, it must have been a real interesting th- time for him to be examining Kenosha, just because of that changeover that way. Like as you say, I think it was twenty six that Bain left Allen shortly thereafter maybe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so those are two large right. industries right, right along the lakefront that are gone uh, but then of course Simmons is still there so that's true one of, one of the things he did though is he did indicate several areas where uh, manufacturing growth should be directed one of which uh, Bob just re- referred to I mean it had actually had contemplated changing the Pike River's mouth and make it into a port that's one of those the elements of the plan that wasn't implemented, and I think we can probably be thankful it wasn't right. implemented. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wouldn't have Carthage College where it is today or, right. or Alfred Park. Uh, at the same time, though, Alfred Park was acquired out of the plan. So th- those things tied together. Uh, the other thing I think you need to reflect isn't just the manufacturing, but the, the, the shift in transportation when you talk about the... the uh, the wagon works uh, discontinuing and now the growth of the automobile. The plan did reflect the strong influence that the automobile would have on this century. I mean, it, it recommended uh, street widths, 
uh, based on the width of cars and their movement of cars. Really? And uh, it recognized the way setbacks should be established so because cars move faster so that people could see, and especially around corners. And actually, that's where Bartholomew kicks off the plan is with streets. Uh, <coughs> plans divided into some major sections, and that's the one that comes up first. And uh, it, we've been building this, you know, this, this title, this city plan of Kenosha, Wisconsin, 20, 1925, is kind of a dull title, but we think it's a fascinating read. Um, even the section, you know, about streets is really interesting, uh, particularly in retrospect. You look at and see what was implemented from the plan and the logic behind why the arterial streets are what they are and such. Uh, and it really gives you an appreciation of how Kenosha has developed over the last 75 years. So, you know, this, uh, I have to admit, the first time I opened the book, and it's like the first section is on streets, it's like, ho-hum, you know. <laughs> but, but it's really true that it, that it is fascinating because it really is, is uh, still something we can see so much in evidence today. This plan, the, it, and some of it's there's some some quirks in it as well. There's some excellent illustrations and graphics, some some excellent drawings. One of them is a cross section of the different types of streets the community should have. Many of which are still a standards today, you know, an eight foot width right away and a sixty six foot right away and a sixty foot right away. But there's also some standards that were in there that, well, as an example, with a streetcar down the center, a boulevard, and I think it was two lanes of traffic in each direction and a lane of parking. Well, it's something we've never implemented, right. but it's interesting to look at this. And it was parkways on the width of it, this huge expanse. I think it was 180 feet of, of street right away. One of the things that's, uh, <clears throat> that interests me about this uh, about the study is uh, maybe it was uh, the time or maybe it was just the thoroughness of uh, Bartholomew, but this study took three years to complete. This was no quick job, mm -hmm. you know, fast and dirty job. This was a very thorough study um, in addition to Bartholomew, who did a lot of hands-on work in, in this particular study. He wasn't just the, 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 you know, the name on the top of the letterhead. Uh, there were, uh, he had several associates who lived here, worked here, essentially, for the better part of three years. Um, one of them was uh, Earl Mills, who, like Bartholomew, later on became president of the American Institute of uh, Planners, and uh, a couple of other fellows, uh, L.D. Tilton and William Hudson. So there was really a lot of high-powered talent that actually was in Kenosha, on site, uh, actually living here for long periods of time, matter of months, and uh, they had to act actually, of course, learn about the community before they could make their recommendations sure. for the improvements. They even went a step further, and I really think that's one of the powers of the plan and one of the reasons the plan was successful, is they really went through an effort to involve the community. It wasn't uh, a group of uh, consultants coming in, meeting with a, with a group of uh, politicians or government officials in a, in a closed room. They met with the public, and they met with the public on a regular basis. And they brought up topics and discussed them thoroughly and it acknowledged the input, and, and then that resulted in what was written. And it's interesting, as Don mentioned, the three-year time period for the development of the plan, they were starting to implement the plan before the plan was adopted. I mean, there were concepts that were in there that were strong enough. They said, well, we better get started right. on these things. Right. You're listening to a rebroadcast of a classic morning show interview from 1998, 25 years ago. The interview conducted by Bill Guy, then news director and host of the morning show.
talking with three Kenosha luminaries, Don Jensen, Bob Furman, and Ray Forgiani. Let's let's get back to streets just for a moment, if we could. Um, of course, anyone who's been to Kenosha knows some of the main uh, east-west drags, uh, 75th Street, 60th Street, 52nd, uh, Washington Road, and then north and south, 22nd Avenue, 30th, Sheridan Road. Were those main streets at this time in the 20s as well, or were they in the plan somehow selected to be main streets? Well, they already existed at, at this time frame. Sure. They just reemphasized their need and recognition that they mm-hmm. were really major, major streets. Uh, their extensions were indicated, um, moving them further north, further south, and further west. You can't move them further east. Right. Uh, <laughs> Roosevelt Road was an interesting uh, consideration. And Roosevelt Road was supposed to be a length and longer. That was one of the, the thoughts of that era was to use diagonal streets because you could cut across the square right, that way. Right. Uh, most of that wasn't implemented. But there was refinements. Like you mentioned 22nd Avenue. Uh, 22nd Avenue had a major bottleneck between 60th and uh, really Washington Road. Um, and they recommended it was Howland Avenue at the time. They recommended it be widened because it would act as a major corridor through right. the community. And that was something I referred to as that even though it was a 1925 plan, things out of it are still implemented. I think it was about 15 years ago that final, that one recommendation was finally right. implemented. So that plan lives on. Sheridan Road was another one that had a that didn't go all the way through. That uh, ultimately was uh, uh, opened uh, in the area behind behind uh, St. Catherine's. Uh, <coughs> oh, okay. Hospital. Oh, uh, now, Bill uh, Ray referred to something when he for. Uh, Reminded me of something I wanted to mention that uh, when he talks about Holland Avenue, of course, which is 22nd uh, Avenue today, we are we're reprinting the book in its original form with the illustrations and what have you. But we are adding a couple of things. We are getting a, a celebrated local city planner to do a new preface for us. <laughs> but along with that, we are also including a street conversion chart in. 1926 and published in the 1927 City Directory of Kenosha, the streets are changed from the names to the street and avenue numbered system that we know today. So that when you read the the city plan of Kenosha in 1925, you'll go through and they'll refer to places like Holland Avenue. And if you don't know that that's 22nd, you'd be somewhat lost. So we have included a a street conversion chart, uh, alphabetical arrangement that's uh, a quick reference for people, and that'll be in the book as well. Oh, okay. We're talking today with uh, three guests on the morning show here on WGTD FM 91.1. Bob Furman is executive director of the Kenosha County Historical Society. Joining us as well, Don Jensen, a member of the board of the Historical Society, and Ray Forgiani, who is the city planner in the city of Kenosha. And we're talking about a book that the Kenosha County Historical Society is uh, going to be republishing. It's called The City Plan of Kenosha, Wisconsin, 1925. And uh, it's going to become available very soon. And before we finish up today, we'll give you all the details on how you can uh, order the book and uh, get a pre-publication discount uh, as well. Ray, you mentioned Daniel Burnham a while back, who did, of course, the famous plan of the city of Chicago. And in there, he said, make no small plans. It sounds like Harlan Bartholomew took that advice to heart and made no small plans for the city of uh, Kenosha, not all of which necessarily have come to, to fruition. Give us some indications. Uh, what are some of the other things in the, uh, in the plan? You know, there's, there's something that you first mentioned. Chicago's master plan, which is a great plan, wasn't deeply implemented. Portions that were implemented. And I really think there's a parallel between the two. Mm-hmm. There's some concepts that were embedded in 
the Bartholomew plan that were also in the uh, the Chicago plan. Things like uh, preservation of the lakefront. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I think Kenosha's done a better job in Chicago. It may be hard to believe, given all the acreage that the lakefront is public in Chicago, but that, that tenant's still there. You know, 86% of our lakefront's public. Is it really that yes. much? I mean, we should be really, really proud in this community. Some One of those assets that we forget we've done done in a good way mm-hmm. but there's a tremendous amount of things that came out of the plan i think each of us probably have our own our own favorites probably everyone's favorite civic center mm-hmm. you know which was a uh, uh, a concept that wasn't new but it was new for a community of this size the idea of pulling together a central place for all the governments to be united so they were accessible to the public in, in every uh, way also to undertake the uh, neoclassic approach to the, the the development of the buildings around it, so they took a mm-hmm. monumental uh, means, and, and then to center it with a park. And we have a classic civic center in this community. Right, mm-hmm. right. This, this is west of Sheridan Road between 56th Street and... Uh, yeah, it's really, the focus Street is really 56th yeah. and, and Sheridan. It was one of those projects they started to implement before the plan was, was fully adopted. Right. Was, was City Hall at that time... <clears throat> On 56th Street, uh, what, a block or so east of uh, of Sheridan Road? Yes. Is that where the yeah, city was? It was on 8th Avenue and 56th. Right. Okay. From Re- 1911. Okay. Although the plan calls for it to be on 56th and, and Sheridan Road on the, would be the northeast. northeast corner. And in the most recently adopted downtown plan, it's still the site that has been designated if there is ever to be in a city hall. That's the site of the... Uh, it was well, a police station, the police and water station, and the water center, and, and, the, water center and right. the libraries over there, and the, right. the, the tourism bureau. The tourism, yeah. mm-hmm. the, uh, the famous Chinese wall, Kenosha's uh, track uh, elevation right. that runs through the city, was. I think that was an example of of one of the things that Bartholomew did. There were some existing individual elements that uh, that already w- either were in place or were planned. Uh, even uh, and and this was this was one of them. There was talk because of the uh, the tremendous danger and the many people who were killed at at uh, at uh, grade level crossings with the trains running at high speed mm-hmm. through the city of uh, of Kenosha uh, that there had to be something to separate the traffic from the railroad and uh, so that was proposed early on. But certainly was incorporated into it, it. It hadn't been developed actually. It had been planned. The the, uh, the railroads had been ordered to do something about this. It just didn't happen. Uh, but that was incorporated. Uh, separating the, the the grade separation was ordered by or not was uh, was proposed also in in the in the study. And then of course uh, several years, three years after. Three and a half years after the study uh, came out, a tragic incident happened in which five teenagers were killed in uh, a train uh, crash with two automobiles they were riding. One of the victims was Alfred's 16-year-old son, and uh, the plan really took on some impetus after that tragedy and eventually Mm -hmm. was completed, and we now have the the, uh, what is now the Union Pacific. track elevation. Right. That must have been an enormous undertaking because I assume were they able to keep the trains running while they did the work of getting the tracks up overhead? Yes. They, they really they did. It it took a long it took a long time. It was a long it was a long project, a number of years done in stages, but eventually I believe it was the late thirties that it was finally completed. Okay. There's uh, an area of, of Kenosha that uh, 
is uh, right in the center of town that's vacant. I'm thinking the old Bonnie Haim property. This is for Kenosha lifers who can remember back uh, 30 years or more. Uh, the area between, what, 52nd Street to 45th Street and 30th Avenue to, would it be 32nd? And that was, uh, that was something that the uh, Bartholomew study took a look at uh, 75 years ago. Yes, yes. Uh, there was a plan to, uh, to put a, uh, a high school stadium on that, uh, on that property, which, of course, had originally been uh, uh, a summer farm of uh, one of uh, Kenosha's uh, wealthiest families. And, uh, and then it was, it was planned to put a, a high school stadium here. Uh, one of the things that wound up on the... Uh, on the south side of uh, Kenosha, actually, uh, uh, like like the uh, uh, a lot of the uh, industrial development wound up either in Pleasant Prairie or in the city's uh, uh, industrial park in the west side, and and not really on the <coughs> north side, as uh, as Bartholomew had uh, had proposed. Along with the, we were talking about the new industrial port that was supposed to be a focal point for industrial development, and uh, so some of the things happened, but not exactly where <laughs> where Bartholomew may have envisioned. Okay. Uh, just to get back to a part of town that we were talking about uh, before. We were mentioning the Bain Wagon Works and the Allen Tannery, um, and at that time there was there was a waterway. There was the the Pike. Creek was it called Pike Creek at that time? Yes, it was. It was running above ground. Uh, that was then submerged some years later. Um, was that part of the plan? To to was it in the plan was it to keep that waterway open or to um, put it underground? Was it it addressed at all? Didn't address. It certainly didn't address. <coughs> I don't believe it addressed either keeping it or eliminating okay. it. It just recognized it was there and and, and dealt with work around it. Working around it precisely. It did, though, in, encourage the development of uh, uh, Washington Park and including the golf course and the preservation of the creek within within those two, within oh. that large park. You know, and that's one of the, I think one of the stronger elements of the plan. Recognizing all master plans have elements. Mm-hmm. You know, dealing with the. Uh, uh, land use and transportation, or land use and circulation, as it's referred to, and then there's other segments usually come on. Parks was one of the strong ones, and, and much of the park system we have today is a result of this plan. It laid out in advance the locations of parks. It laid out in advance some standards for parks, also the design of school sites, you know, how much land should be involved, how they should be laid out, how, how far apart they should be, what type of population densities they should be serving. Those things are, are handed down. They're really strong foundations in which this community is built upon. Uh, another area was, which is interesting, you don't see this in many master plans, is civic art. It's a real strong call mm-hmm. that the community really need to put icing on top of the cake. Oh, that's that's way ahead of its time. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much. Well, in a, in a wave. The Romans and the Greeks sort okay. of beat us a little bit. But in this country, <laughs> it, was, it was a bit ahead of its time. And uh, there was a strong effort then to, to do things like to make sure that uh, uh, scenic views were maintained or developed, uh, that uh, rivers and lakes and forests were preserved. And that's where some of our parks come from. And, and, and some public and private art was then installed at the time. And certainly, I think we can point to Civic Center with the uh, Statue of Liberty statue is an example. Right, mm-hmm. right. There was a talk at one time, or included in the plan, was a, a proposal to put a different statue in Civic Center yes. Park. I understand. Yes, the uh, the Lincoln the Lincoln statue that is uh, the seated Lincoln uh, statue in uh, in uh, Library Park. 
which originally had been donated in 1909 uh, to mark the uh, Lincoln's Centennial. birth. Centennial, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a <coughs> man by the name of Calkin, uh, Calkins uh, contributed or donated that uh, uh, to the city with the intent that the four corners of of uh, Library Park have similar, uh, the other three corners have Mm -hmm. similar statues, and it was even suggested who they might be, uh, being that it was then uh, not too many years after the Civil War, I mean, along with uh, Washington and I believe it was Jefferson, uh, Ulysses Grant Mm. was was considered, and uh, Calkin really hoped that this would uh, be... uh, be something others would would contribute, but we did in fact only have the one statue. And by the time of the Bartholomew uh, study, uh, it was pretty clear there were not going to be other ones at the corner. So it proposed that it be moved into the Civic Center Park. That didn't happen. Okay. Was that before the the Statue of Liberty replica was was in yes. Civic Center? Yes. Okay. Yes. So they got the Statue of Liberty instead of Lincoln. So exactly right. You can't mm-hmm. you can't right. gripe. You know, well, yeah. <laughs> I see there was also plans for a, a a big a business building, an office building downtown. It was suggested, um, and I believe in, in Bartholomew, if I remember correctly, sneaks this in kind of uh, in a tricky way. I think he, he sneaks it in in the caption of a photograph rather than in the body of his text mm. where he says something to the effect that uh, wouldn't it be nice to have a Wrigley-type building downtown here? You uh, have to remember that at the time, of course, uh, unlike today when the lakefront has been opened where the harbor park is, is being developed, we had a big industrial factory right. there at the time, a Simmons company, and it was uh, doing quite well, thank you, in the in the uh, in the mid twenties. And so, obviously, Bartholomew was very much a realist. He knew that was not going to be an open vista uh, there, as as it has, and uh, so really, he was suggesting that as you look east from the Civic Center. And the factory there, you know, could be could be seen there. That what would be uh, a good idea would be to have an attractive large building that would that would sort of end your view at uh, at Sixth Avenue or, or Main Street. I'm not entirely sure because of the way he handled it, as Bob says, which was to put it in as almost a question under caption under a photo whether he was literally suggesting this happen or whether he was just suggesting a general concept of what Ray was talking about uh, the the visual attractiveness of the of the uh, you know because that would have been the one essentially open area of of, of the Civic Center where without one of the large public mm-hmm. and 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 uh, classical buildings to uh, uh, to catch the eye as you looked in that direction. So I'm not entirely sure uh, how literally he meant that to be taken, but nonetheless, if you look at some of the drawings, you can see that there were some rather imposing buildings that that were envisioned for that that area, the Main Street area, area of the uh, 
Civic Center area. You're listening to a rebroadcast of a classic morning show interview from 1998, 25 years ago. The interview conducted by Bill Guy, then news director and host of the morning show, talking with three Kenosha luminaries, Don Jensen, Bob Furman, and Ray Forgiani. I'll tell you the truth, I didn't know that Pershing Boulevard even existed back in the 1920s, and, uh, but uh, it is included in the city plan of Kenosha 1925, a proposal to make that a, a belt line, if you will, around the, the big parkway around, around the, the city's, city. mm-hmm. city's perimeter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was, that was one of the things that Ray was talking about, the streets. One of the things that, uh, that uh, Bartholomew envisioned was to make, have pleasure drives, as he was talking about. I'm not sure uh, necessarily that Pershing was considered one of the pleasure drives, but it certainly was envisioning the tremendous growth of automobile traffic and the need to have uh, to move traffic through and in some cases around the city because that was of course quite quite far out in in the 1920s even in terms of, of of what was built up and what was Developed, right? It, it, it's an interesting one. It's it's one of the the elements in the plan that I think is went wrong, if you will. I mean, the intended ideas, as Don just indicated, was to provide a pleasure drive that allowed one to take a a, a kind and pleasurable drive around, literally around the city. And of course, trying to implement something that grand, you know, took most of the century. Uh, it's never really been finished, and it. I think it. We lost sight as a community as to what the intent was. Now, a boulevard, by definition, as as was uh, uh, laid out by earlier planners, was to, what literally meant at least a wide strip of open space or trees along the sides, mm-hmm. if not also in, in along the center. If you look at the stretches of Persian Boulevard, what we have is large stretches of concrete. There's not much beauty to them unless you're really in love with concrete. So we somehow lost lost the vision of it. But if one could imagine some of the, the, those widths of streets with a broad uh, boulevard that were tree lined down the center, it might actually we might actually bring it back to the way it was intended to be. But you can see where the intent was, mm-hmm. and then over the century we we lost it. Hmm. The plan continues in in, in uh, to be used today, and and some of the things that Bartholomew talked about three-quarters of a century ago are just really starting to get into place now, and we're thinking, of course, of the reintroduction of the electric trolley in uh, Kenosha. Now, Kenosha apparently had had trolleys at one time. The community had a very strong history of uh, public transportation. Um, and in fact, that might be worth having uh, our transportation director, Joe McCarthy, come here and, and explain. Really a, a long history of it. Uh, used to streetcars, used to an interurban to Chicago and Milwaukee, the North Shore, uh, first city to have uh, trackless trackless trolleys, trackless electric yeah, trolleys with power overhead. The power overhead okay. that was where the first city was researched in. Uh, yeah, the plan called for a streetcar system to go down the boulevard of 56th Street to, to service the central part of the downtown, and that's one of those things that uh, we're still implementing. That's one of the, one of the features that'll come out of uh, the Harbor Park development where a streetcar system will circulate through the downtown including Harbor Park and using that that Grand Boulevard as a centerpiece. It's one of those things that we scratched our head about and even when we had the Urban Lane Institute in here about three years ago 
they questioned it. We showed them the plan, and it's right on the, it's right in some of the pictures in it, some of the drawings. It's you know, it's hard to argue with it that someone mm-hmm. saw that from back then, and it was a logical thing to do with a boulevard. Yeah. Just quickly, as long as we're on the topic of the trolleys, the work is is going on right now. I see part of 56th Street is ripped up. Of course, that that vista has been open now, the whole width of 56th Street down the lake, and that is a master stroke. It really is. It's just gorgeous. What what's going to happen down there, Ray? What's 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 in the works right now? How soon are we going to be riding the trolley down to Harbor Park? Uh, what you're seeing is 56th Street being reconstructed right now, along with. 6th Avenue, the elimination of the bridge, the mm-hmm. other vestige that we've managed to hide from the public all these years, uh, and the extension of 54th Street through. We should right. see 6th Avenue open up, I'm hoping, I, I, I want to tell you mid-month, but it, oh, really? But it may not be mid-month. We've sure. had some rain. It certainly <laughs> should be open this month. You'll also notice that curb and gutter is going in on Harbor Park itself. Uh, we would expect that the all of the street work should be done by late fall. Now, street work includes the streetcar. Now, we were hoping that the streetcar rail work would have begun by now. There, that's a major effort in itself, but mm-hmm. that should, we should start to see that mobilized in the next, uh, next several weeks. There'll be, Paul, well, it's kind of a, a funny thing. It's happened. They can't start until the rail shows up. And when I checked last week, the rail was supposed to be here. It's in shipment. They had lost track of this where it was shipped. That happens on some rail goods. Oops. Now, it'll reappear. I haven't checked this week yet, but I'm, I'm sure it's probably reappeared by now. <laughs> it's it's not a setback, though. It still fits within the schedule. There's enough flexibility and all all the improvements are, gonna, are being made in that area. Uh, no small undertaking. Um, and I can't say that Harbor Park's a result of the master plan from 1925, but certainly elements are. Uh, that vision to extend, have a boulevard in the downtown and then extend it through, although not specifically stated in the plan, is pretty obvious to, to a planner like mm-hmm. myself. Now, it's something I pushed for for years to, to get that vistage open up so you can, you can see down into, into the, to the water. Right. Bartholomew said Kenosha would be a much larger city by this time than it, than it is. He, <laughs> was, he was projecting 200,000. Is that a number he picked out of the hat? Uh, do we have any idea what he might have based that on? Well, well uh, well, go ahead, Don. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, he does have uh, in the study a one of those nice-looking graphs with a curved line that mm-hmm. sort of arches up and disappears in the clouds at the end, uh, and uh, it probably should have disappeared in the clouds before it got to uh, the two hundred thousand uh, figure because he was predicting that to be um, Kenosha's population as early as 1980. Oh, my gosh, Uh, really? Yeah, and uh, we don't really know because he didn't extend the line up quite far enough in the graph to (laughs) to know exactly where where we're ultimately headed. But I suppose Ray could speak to this more. Uh, Most most projections that I have seen on populations uh, in the future... Uh, have been wrong one way or another. It seems to be a hard thing to predict. Yeah, it is a very hard thing to predict because it's, it's so much based on uh, local, national, international economies. Because mm-hmm. how growth goes really has to do with the economies, migration and out-migration, etc. Uh, I think what he simply did is he did a, a, a mathematical projection based on the growth that had occurred for the previous few years. And based on that... Mm-hmm. It looked like it made sense, and I think for a time period, a reasonable time period, probably 10 years, it was accurate. Now, in in defense, 
I don't believe he envisioned there being incorporations or you might say non-urban development going around the city, uh, VCV, Summers, and Pleasant Prairie. Right. If you add in those populations, it certainly is not going to get you to 200,000, but it's certainly going to get you a much higher number than, than we're working with, probably closer to maybe 120,000, right. 130,000. Right. So I mean, you also remember this, but we're looking at 75 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, projections are, are difficult to be accurate for 10 years, let alone 75 years. As Don mentioned, the, uh, all the projections I see tend to overestimate. That's, that's okay. the general tendency. Unless you really, you know, and it's really an anomaly when you get a community that has unbelievable growth. You know, places like Las Vegas right now have tremendous right. growth. It's scary growth. It's so fast. The uh, and those are anomalies, and those are, you know, can't be predicted. But generally, they, there's a tendency to overestimate. He was probably also just looking at the the basic uh, census numbers from the from the past three or four censuses. You know, the, the city was pretty stagnant size wise for a number of years, and then after the the 1880s, 1890s, uh, you, you see massive increases from uh, the census year to the next uh, the next decade later. Uh, so just using that as a baseline, you know, I, I still 200,000 today just seems silly to us. But you could see that he was anticipating some growth. I, and we're twice the size or a little bit more than what we were in 1925. Right. So uh, that's still pretty good if, if, you're, if you're excited about growth. Um, I guess when Ray was talking about Harbor Park, the thing I was thinking about is if you could somehow channel – uh, Harlan Bartholomew back uh, today, you know, he'd probably be just—he'd be ecstatic about what's happening in Harbor Park. You know, getting rid of this this huge factory complex and right. and turning it back over to public use and, and development. Uh, I think he'd be really excited. And uh, I, I guess I just I look at uh, Ray's profession and a little I know about it, and just think to myself, you know, how lucky these guys are that somebody's kind of giving them a cheat sheet to work off of <laughs> and build into this new development. Um, not to diminish what you guys are doing. No, that's, that's, that's a good point. And it, it really, you refer to it as a cheat sheet. It's just that someone's done some work ahead of time, that, that, which is a foundation to build upon. It's much, it's much safer that way, and you get much stronger results. Right. We've been talking about the importance of <coughs> the, the study to Kenosha, I wanted to touch on a couple of things regarding our republication of the, of, the, of the book uh, and, and build on what Ray had said a little while ago about how Bartholomew and his team had tried to involve the community with hearings and all of this. This really, and, and as a writer, this really comes across to me how in doing this report, this isn't a dry report that you might, a technical kind of thing. This is a report that clearly intended to carry out the involvement of the community. It's written in very readable language. It's, this isn't some sort of a, a, a dry bureaucratic or technical report. This is something you can actually get involved in mm-hmm. as you uh, you or 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 anyone who is not a planner like Ray or who's not uh, a professional historian or uh, this sort of thing uh, it is something that uh, the average reader can pick up and find something fascinating in it i also wanted to mention too that it has some very interesting and very fine illustrations in the book. Um, there are 
we talked about the, the graphs of which there are some, and perhaps that's not too exciting. But there's some there's 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 maps. There are probably I don't remember the number of photographs. Fifty photos and plates total. Fifty photos and plates. Fascinating views of what the city looked like before some of these changes, what it looked like in the mid-20s. And there are some really some marvelous drawings in there by uh, one of Bartholomew's staff members, of Fred Graff, who was a, uh, an accomplished artist. And uh, there are some really marvelous uh, drawings and illustrations in there, um, and, and some of which we are... Uh, how many are there that we're reproducing in uh, in the separate frame? Oh, yes. Uh, the two of the large oversized illustrations, actually in the original, uh, they fold out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, predating Hugh Hefner's. Uh, <laughs> 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 how often do you get to work that into it? <laughs> but these fold outs, uh, one, one of them, yes, exactly. <laughs> one of them uh, shows a, a bird's eye view from the lake, and the other one yeah. is a wonderful shot of Civic Center. In fact, it was reproduced by the Kenosha News in an article on Sunday. Uh, those are going to be done full size. They will not be bound into the book. They will be folded and inserted into the book. Uh, but we feel that a lot of people might want to actually take those and frame them because they, they are really that nice piece of artwork that you might want to do that. So uh, that will be also, there too. Also, I have to mention all the maps on it. It's full of maps. Maps of parks, maps of future parks, maps of, maps of future streets. Uh, history of growth of the community, which I think is a, is a great map. You can actually see when different different portions of the community oh, no actually mm-hmm. were developed. Um, it shows the uh, the mass transit systems. It's it's there, there's a whole collection of maps in there. Probably could publish the map separately if we wanted. There's that many maps. Yeah. I know m- most people. You like to read a little bit, but you like pictures, yeah. mm-hmm. and you like maps, and they're, they're, it's part of what makes the, the document an interesting document. Yeah, I don't think people will be disappointed that way. Okay. Bob Furman, Executive Director of the Kenosha County Historical Society, Don Jensen, a member of their board, and Ray Forgiani, Kenosha City Planner, speaking with WGTD News Director Bill Guy in a morning show conversation from 1998, 25 years ago. I reached out to the Kenosha County Historical Society to see if the reprint of the 1925 city plan uh, was still available in their gift shop. It is not. However, in conjunction with the Kenosha Public Library, they have uh, overseen a digitalized version of the city plan. It is available as part of their online digital collections, and it includes a new forward by Ray Forgiani and a names-to-numbers street translation guide help you make sense of everything that you find there. I hope you enjoyed this rebroadcast of a morning show classic not heard since its original airing 25 years ago. I'm Gregory Berg.